Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a nasty beast. And I am Colonel Shanders. Welcome to episode 191, In Your House 6. Rage in the Cage. So we're caging it up. Woo! Are we? Yeah. I mean... Hopefully there's some raging... (laughs) I did see it. I assume it'll be the last match. Possibly. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a brawl. Yeah. Somebody's going to be winning. Somebody's going to be losing. This is in your house, not... Somebody's uh, going to be climbing. That's right. Yeah, Possibly not... falling. Fighting from above. Fighting from underneath. Maybe uh, reaching for a door. Perhaps. Being pulled down. Mm-hmm. All these things. Do we probably, even... probably, I think we've, we've wrapped the show up. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Woo, mm. woo, minute in, we're done. <laughs> but this is the sixth rendition of In Your House, produced by the WWF. It would take place on February 18th, 1996, from the Louisville Gardens in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. With an attendance of 5,500 people. Ouch. I mean... That's a small crowd for a WWF. A little show. bit, yeah. But is it a small venue? Probably. It's Louisville's not huge, so Louisville. Louisville. They're in Corny's backyard. They are definitely in Corny's backyard. Fuck yeah! So what would Corny bring us? Well, in Emo's Pizza, maybe a cheeseburger, obviously. The, Wendy's, <laughs> the Wendy's, any... the Wendy's incident. Racket-shaped foods. Um, uh... Yeah. Um... <laughs> have you ever heard uh, Pritchard do corny? Yeah. Who? No, you have. Uh, yeah. Bruce Pritchard does a corny impression. That's like, I want a motherfucking cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A double cheese, extra mayo, whatever. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, corny. But what would Shane bring us? Well, when we go to Louisville. Kentucky. Here we are in Louisville. However, the hell they pronounce it from there. I, I've heard like forty different pronunciations it's on like, twelve it's different like, podcasts. Uh, Baltimore. It's like ba- Baltimore. <laughs> Miami. It's like yeah. It's like it's like yeah. you got there's it's, it's different. Well, you got to let your tongue just like go dead when you say it. So it's like Louisville. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're we're in Kentucky. That that one's easier to pronounce properly. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Uh, so I figured, I looked up the, the stuff like I normally do. What's the sandwich? What's the cocktail? I think we've already had the cocktail. Uh, there's like a Kentucky mule and something else. Yeah. Yeah. There's like four different variations of the, the mule that I could have brought that represent Kentucky. But I decided it's in your house. 
what would people eat in your house, possibly for a wrestling show in 1996 in Kentucky? I had to go with the the, the classic home state favorite, the Kentucky Fried Chicken, the red um, and white striped bucket. That's right, with old Colonel Shanders himself dishing out the. Uh, is it oven baked or oven fried? I still um, don't understand how it works exactly. It's the special spice. Well, I don't know. It's the, yeah. the, the secret spices or whatever. And yes, I can tell. I can tell you what all the spices are if you really want to know. Do you know the amounts? I do. Do you really? Yeah. I know. I heard recently that they were written on. Well, we get a cease and desist. No, I'm not going to say them on here. No, yeah, I can show them. Yeah, I've heard People that it was. Find them online, easy, <laughs> I heard that the original recipe was written on the back of the door of the kitchen for the original restaurant rest. I could totally whatever. see that being a thing. Uh, and I think that the house is still on. I recently heard Jim Cornette talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken for about uh, 20 minutes and the history of it. Uh, I don't remember all of it, but mm. that's how I know about the door thing. So, you know, yes. good timing for uh, for this episode, I guess. I did not dig that deep into the history of Kentucky Fried Chicken. because right. they'll make a movie I, about it one day. I, I just looked up what are foods that are from Kentucky, and boom, top of the list, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, all right, cool. That's something that you would sit and eat in, in your house or in somebody else's house, a friend's house possibly, eating greasy chicken while you watch wrestling because pizza can't own everything. Uh, even though it kind of Pizza Hut now. and Kentucky yeah. Fried Chicken are part of the same company, I think probably. But do you guys I remember? Remember? I, I feel like Kentucky Fried Chicken delivered. Taco Bell and Pizza Hut are. I thought all three of them were. Maybe KFC is part of the group too. But do you guys, <laughs> I don't know if it's, this was a thing or not, but I feel like when I was a kid, Kentucky Fried Chicken like delivered at one point. I don't remember. Like in the early 90s. Because I grew up in small town Nebraska and we didn't have KFC there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't KFC then. It was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Maybe really not. Good. Maybe it's just in my head that like my dad left and like picked it up. And yeah. So it just seemed that way. But <laughs> it, was like Sunday, it was Sunday lunch for me quite a few times. After, after church, we'd head to the KFC. Yeah, it was definitely it a... It was a bucket of chicken. Yeah, like it would be like a Saturday or Sunday thing where it's like, ah, I don't feel, parents don't feel like cooking, and they go get a bucket of chicken. I remember it being better as a kid, but I mean, who knows? What we just ate was pretty all right. Yeah, I went for the uh, original recipe. I let them give me the classic sides that come with it: mashed potatoes and gravy with coleslaw. Comes with some biscuits. Still, probably my favorite coleslaw out there. Oh, really? I hadn't had it. In forever. Like, the only thing from the now known as KFC version of Kentucky Fried Chicken that I've had in recent years was just a little mini, mini chicken sandwiches. finger sandwiches. Yeah. they Chicken Littles, I think that's what they yeah. were called. And, yeah, this was... KFC has definitely really tried to go as fast food as they possibly can. Over yeah. the years. And I feel like that no, it's not as big here, but I've heard that outside of this country, KFC's like like big in like Europe where like the quality is good and people like like it and go oh, there. Yeah. It's probably uh, which is like funny it used to because be. here I feel like everybody's like also there's the US is filled with chicken spots and more and more of them every damn day. Well, the US is filled with chicken spots and I believe KFC, Taco Bell, all of them are still part of the same company and Taco Bell uses rehydrated ingredients and powders and stuff and I think KFC has gone that way because potatoes are definitely instant even though they're still good because they just remind me of my childhood. But yeah. the potatoes aren't the same as they used to be because I swear they used to actually make them. Well, now they're the kind of translucent. I do remember them being white at one point. 
Yeah, they were much fluffier and wider back in the day. Yep. Yeah. Like literally the coleslaw, it's like just throw a gallon of mayo, pour some water, and then throw all the lettuce and carrots in there. And yeah. That's what. Yeah. That's what it is. But it's not. But I love a man. I love a mayonnaise based coleslaw. And most people don't. So I'm not a big mayo person, but this was actually pretty good. Coleslaw, the, the right coleslaw was the the cabbage right was crispy and. It wasn't. That's the part I hate is when it sits in the mayonnaise stuff for too long and gets soggy. Hot coleslaw. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Cooked cabbage, sure. Hot coleslaw, no. But yeah, there's my bite that I'm eating on air like I normally do. It's not crunchy because that's the original recipe. I was like expecting a crunch there, and like you just <laughs> grabbed a piece of meat. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's the bad thing. Is I like, got chicken breast, man. It's not. Yeah. It's not crunchy. The original but recipe it, does not crunch, but it's got some good flavor to it. But it's not dry. No, the the trick with like you know deep frying anything, this is not a secret, but is to add cornstarch. Okay, keeps it crispy for longer. It's definitely why like you know Korean fried chicken is so good and. Why you can cover Chinese food in uh, in like pink syrup and it still has a bit of a crunch to it because there's cornstarch in it. But oh, KFC, pink syrup, you know, it's middle America. They didn't they, they didn't know the they didn't know the uh, the Asian tricks. No. And back in the day, that KFC was popular, especially or I shouldn't say back when it was popular. Back when it was first starting. I doubt they would have listened to those Asian recipes because. Probably not. Don't tell me I didn't crap. Times they are a changing, but they have not changed that much in Kentucky, I believe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not in any, any don't hurry. Don't hate me if I'm wrong because I'm, I'm uneducated. I've never been to Kentucky. Speaking of some uneducated people, the oh. debut film of Wes Anderson, mm. Bottle Rocket, would be released a few days later. Nice. And those main characters, they were they were some good old boys. They got some uh, thick skulls. Full bottle rocket. It's funny. I was always funny. Like I know uh, Wes Anderson's from tech from like Austin, and I guess Austin's like the the least Texas ass town in Texas. Yes, but yeah. uh, but still, it's just funny that he's uh, from Texas. Like Linklater makes sense that he's from Texas to me, but uh, Wes Anderson's like, oh okay. I don't know if he still lives there or not, but how do you guys feel about Ball Rocket? I love this movie. I do too. I'm not going to lie. I was working at Blockbuster when this movie came out, and all these years later, I still have never watched it. Oh, wow. It's wow. it's possibly one of the only Wes Anderson movies I haven't seen. It's his least stylized, and to this day, it's still one of my favorites, just is like because it's just a... A comedy, it doesn't have any of, you know, it's his, like, clerks, kind of, where it's like, oh, but he ends up being this, like, wildly stylized guy where everything is so, so precise, but this still feels like him, but minus the, like, cutesy element of, you know, the budgets that he ends up uh, using. Like, Rushmore steps it up a little bit, and then Royal Tenenbaums is when it really comes in, Mm -hmm. and now it's almost to the point where it almost feels like parody. Not that the, you know, I have some movies of his I like more than others, obviously. Some of them I don't care for very much. I completely think that he has, even though most people will say that Rushmore or Royal Tenenbaums are probably his best film. Yeah. I actually feel like he continues to grow. Yeah. And his films after 
Royal Tenenbaums. Like, mm-hmm. I like Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. They're fine. I love Bottle Rocket, but my favorite movie of his is actually Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic and Tenenbaums are probably my two favorite. But this one is uh, definitely up there. But, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox has a charm to it. Yeah. Isle of Dogs has a charm to it. Yep. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, it's charming. I think we can all probably agree Darjeeling Limited and, and French Dispatch are probably the least good ones. I like Darjeeling Limited quite a bit. I don't like the French Dispatch, and I don't like Isle of Dogs. But I like really? all the other movies to various degrees. See, I think, I but think those are the two movies like that I don't care. Yeah, Those are the two movies that I don't care for, but I've only seen each of them one time. So like it's like, ah, I saw them once, and they didn't they didn't do anything like, for me. I parts of French Dispatch, but as a whole, I didn't care for it. Yeah, him doing an anthology seems like a good idea, but the stories that he was telling were too large for the anthology format, where it's like, too much stuff happened. If you're going to yeah. tell an anthology story, it needs to be tight and concise, and it can't go over the course of years and if it does it needs to be like hard cuts 510 simple story like with maybe one or two people like i gotta look who is in french dispatch oh everybody a little bit of everybody just, just like people. all all of us like yeah. so like i always go and see wes anderson films in the theater and 90 percent of the time i go by myself my wife doesn't go with me um but she like saw the commercial for grand budapest hotel and so she was like, okay, I'll go with you to see that one. And she, like, absolutely loved I've heard a, Grand Poodle a lot of people out. say that that is his best or their favorite. And I just saw it the one time, and I remember really, really liking it, but I haven't revisited it. But those early ones I watched a lot, like, in the early DVD era and being in high school and having the time. With yeah. no, or, like, you know, or in middle school with, like, no car. And it's like, oh, yeah, I have a copy of Royal Tenenbaums. And... Uh, everybody in my house likes this movie, and it played on HBO a lot too. So it's like, oh, I put the DVD in, and uh, everybody everybody's having a good time. Yeah, I remember French Dispatch. I went and saw it. I was the only person in the entire theater when I saw it, <laughs> and thankfully I was because I'm pretty sure I fell asleep and probably snored. Yeah, I was not the only person, but I do remember just being like underwhelmed throughout, except for the first story. The first story is probably the most interesting and fun one. And then they get a little too grandiose, and it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah, the, the first movie, the, the first one could Sha- have been a 90s. The Chalamet, McDormand, McDormand one, I was just like, that was, what is this? It, it, it was too big of a story. Like, it either needed to be a movie, which I'm glad it wasn't, because I don't want to see that movie. No. But it didn't had no place in an anthology film. Absolutely. But, you know, uh, we love Bottle Rocket uh, and... Shane, I have a Shane, feeling Shane would quite like Bottle Rocket. I like Grand Budapest. Rushmore, for me, that was that was the first Wes Anderson movie that I saw, and it's the one that always yeah, stands I, out I in my mind. I do think you would like Bottle Rocket. I feel like there's no wrong answers for your favorite, uh-huh. uh, but I would be surprised if anybody said French Dispatch was their favorite. That would probably be the one. That one or Darjeeling Limited would yeah. probably be the two. But yeah. Those are probably... It's probably because those are probably my least two favorites. Yeah. If someone said that they were my favorite. I like Darjeeling Limited. It is incredibly sad, but all of his movies are pretty incredibly sad for the most part. I think they were trying to play on Schwartzman a little bit too much in that one. Yeah. And I think Schwartzman is better as a side character. Yep. And not as a leading man. Yeah, especially like when he was younger in Rushmore, being a little snot, he's great at. I mean, it makes sense for that character, yeah. but he can't be that character 
in every movie. Yeah, he's also the least interesting character in the Darjeeling uh, Limited, yeah. whereas like Brody and obviously Owen Wilson is the most interesting of the three of them. So it's like, oh, well, we have a weak link here. So I can see, I can see that dragging it down. But we're like most people, various degrees of uh, fandom for Wes Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never th- actually like sat around and been like Wes Anderson's one of my favorite directors. Yeah, but same. at the same time, I'm like I'll when I think about it, I go, Wes Anderson I've, is one of I've my literally favorite. gone and seen every single one of his films other than Bottle Rocket in the theater. Yeah, I see. I've seen all but the first two in the theater. I didn't see because uh, Rushmore. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Like by the time it came out. Like when it, I probably came aware of it not too long after it came out on VHS or something, but I was probably in like middle school or something. But all the other ones I saw in the theater, and I'll see the next one too, even though I think the last one kind of stunk. Even the, it also had some of his like most fun technical stuff, like set wise. Like, te- like technically, technically it might, it might be his best movie. Is really good. <laughs> yeah. technically it could be his best, but story wise, yeah, very lackluster. And story is the thing that yeah. ties it all. Ties, that's what he does well. He does everything well, but you know. Let's see if WWF can do this show well. Do it. The logo hits before we get Sunny on a beach where waves are washing over her. They're really leaning in on this as they should be. She says that the following material may be too hot for some and viewer discretion is advised. We go to a highlight package with narration. What emotions beat inside the heart of a champion? And we see Brett is feeling power, euphoria, and fear over losing his title. Diesel feels rage, defiance, and frustration over losing his belt. And The Undertaker shows anger and wants revenge. A dish best served cold. Three men bound by one dynamic passion. Tonight, it will take a 15-foot-high steel cage to harness their emotions and advert anarchy. And the In Your House logo rings the doorbell. Ding dong. No one answers the door, though. Uh Uh-oh. So then he starts walking away, only for a car to back out of the garage and run him over. Oh my gosh, they were going to KFC so they could... Try to make it home in time to watch in your house. Are we giving away a free car again this time? <laughs> or I guess we can give away a free car. We gave away a free house. Yeah, but you know there was only five thousand people here, so maybe they need to dumb it down a little bit to a car. It's much more, much more affordable. Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, and where he's joined by Jerry the King Lawler for commentary, and the King predicts victory for all of the heels while previewing the matches. I mean, Jerry's a. Um... Solid. Solid in his views. That's right. Well, I was saying, he's a wise man, but he's not always the smartest. So we go to our first match. Razor Ramon versus 1-2-3 Kid with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase in a crybaby match. Wow. I mean, you guys, how how ready are you for this, for, for this match to be over? Because I feel like they've been beefing up this crybaby thing. Yep. For too long. Maybe it's just because we've watched a lot of Raws lately. So the loser of this match will be diapered and fed a comically large baby bottle. Yeah, I mean, yes. you know this is Vince shit. He loves this shit. 
You know that oh, these other two men. <laughs> That's good shit. That's some good shit. Yep. And uh, you know these other two guys Damn. totally hate everything about this. Even Sean Waltman is probably not into uh, this whole baby thing. I, I like to think that they're both a little high enough to not care. Give me, give me the check so I Already? can get some more. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so we see video of the kid costing Razor his intercontinental title at the Royal Rumble, followed by one, two, three, bringing a stroller to ringside to use on Ramon during a match on Superstars, before also using Jarrett's guitar. And as the kid's coming out, he brings the stroller with him, carrying a teddy bear that one, two, three attempts to rip the head off of. But he ends up failing, so he just throws it into the bad guy's face. Oh, uh, you should have gimmicked the teddy bear. Made a little, little, little snip. Get you a start. Razor responds with a toothpick flick, which leads to the two men trading slaps until Ramon clotheslines the kid out of the ring. One, two, three hot shots the bad guy on the top rope as he tries to get back into the ring. Following up with a springboard clothesline, and kicks in the corner. Razor then blocks a hip toss and starts throwing the kid around the ring with ease, hitting a clothesline and a fallaway slam. Ramon sets up for the edge, but 1-2-3 escapes to the apron quickly to avoid, only for the bad guy to knock him down to the floor, all while DiBiase is getting some baby powder for his hands. As Razor goes to drag the kid back in, the Million Dollar Man throws the powder into Ramon's eyes, allowing 1-2-3 to come back into the ring with a missile dropkick, multiple sliding leg drops, and a top rope splash for a two-count. Yeah, the uh, flying cloud of baby powder right in front of the referee's face, (laughs) and the clear shot of baby powder all over Razor Ramon, and yet nothing happens, didn't see it. Business as usual. Nothing to see here. Carry on. The kid keeps up the attack with a standing drop kick, a spinning heel kick, before locking on a sleeper, which the bad guy finally escapes by dropping one, two, three onto the ropes to crotch him. Razor begins to fire up with right hands and sets the kid on the turnbuckle to attempt a super back suplex, only for one, two, three to elbow Ramon away before jumping off with a crossbody that the bad guy uses the momentum to roll on top for a near fall. Razor then gets hit with a spinning heel kick for a two count, but he then catches the kid on a crossbody attempt, taking him up to the ropes to deliver a super fallaway slam. DiBiase then jumps on the apron to distract Ramon, allowing 1-2-3 to grab some powder, only for the bad guy to kick it into his face. Oh no! Shit. Foiled. Ramon capitalizes by nailing the razor's edge, but he pulls the kid up before the three count, just to give him a second one for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, the bad guy squirts milk in 1-2-3's face, with the Million Dollar Man trying to stop him, only for Ramon to fend him off with baby powder. Razor then places the diaper on the kid before shrugging his shoulders and dumping more powder on 1-2-3. Yeah, he got a a little more into the diapering of his friend than I would have predicted. Yeah, I was like, what were you, I was like, I can't believe that they had to that they had to do that part. Yeah, I feel like the powder and the milk, but like it's 
it's it was really bizarre to watch a grown man put a diaper on another grown man, especially in a room with five thousand yeah. people. I mean, these days you've got OnlyFans or <laughs> something like that for that. <laughs> I'm a yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only fan that's not a fan of of uh, of diapered adults. Nope. So after the bad guy <laughs> leaves, the kid finally wakes up, thinking he has won. But DiBiase tells him to look at himself, which causes one, two, three to throw a He's tantrum. He's gonna cry. It's fucking awkward as shit. Yep. Sean Waltman is not a very good actor. No. And this would be the last time we see the kid until he adds up his numbers for another company. Oh, Ooh. shit. I didn't realize that he left kind of when everyone else does. I don't know if he's so much left or... This is, he's, he pushed. actually sticks around longer than Nash and Hall, oh. but we just don't see him. He's just not, he's not getting booked on like the big shows. Big yeah. shows. Okay, I was like, okay, not I know he gets longer. over there. Not yeah. much longer. Okay, yeah, I knew that. I knew that he gets over there, but I was like, okay. But uh, you, I see, we're just, uh, you know, this was his last... Uh, boo-hoo-rah? Yeah, his last <laughs> boo-hoo-rah. <laughs> Uh, I like that one. That one felt good. Okay. Vincent sends us to the Superstar Hotline Room with Ray Rajot and Sonny. Oh, yeah. And McMahon asks what they will discuss with Razor and the kid. And Sonny promises to flirt with Ramon, while Ray wants to talk about diaper rashes with one, two, three. (laughs) Fetishes, (laughs) y'all. Vincent shows a clip from the free-for-all where Jake Roberts scared Sonny with his snake. And no, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a good thing. Sonny can do better than Jake Roberts. Definitely. But at, least at, better. at least at the time. After now that she's a murderer. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jake's in her future. So we go to our second match. Hunter Hurst Helmsley with Elizabeth Hilden versus Duke the Dumpster Josie. And Miss Hilden was the Penthouse Pet of the Month in June 1995. Ooh. And would be voted Penthouse Pet of the Year in 1997. Crazy that they're using Penthouse and not, like, Playboy. Because isn't, like, Playboy doesn't... Uh, this was around the time of the People versus Larry Flint. Uh, so I think okay. they're trying to ride yeah. the wave of... Because Playboy's, like, Hustler. classy and then... Was he behind Penthouse, too? I think Penthouse. I, don't I can't remember. Penthouse and Hustler are the ones that are a little... Uh, a little raunchy. Yeah, not your grandpa's porno yeah. man. Huh? Well, it depends on who hey, your grandpa maybe is. Maybe not your grandpa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know either my grandpa's very well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I'd like to think that they were Playboy guys. So do they still have... I know they have Playboy, but or do they still even do Playboy now that Hefner's gone? I bet they do. It's probably just like not. They probably just don't sell very much. It's magazines I mean, and they. People they have, I'm just wondering if they, they have, have like online. Playboy Playmate of the Year or a Penthouse Pet of the Month or Year. I'm just they, wondering if they, they still do those. I bet they still do it. I just bet it's not a big deal. It's one of those things where like oh we just keep up tradition. Playboy probably definitely does, but I don't know. Like, when was the last time you saw? A I might get Playboy. kicked out of the Rainbow Coalition if I were to look for myself. So. Oh, I think it'd be fine. <laughs> You just uh, you can claim by for a week. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I haven't claimed that in a long time. I'm not sure I want to think the rules are different. Yeah, I don't think, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of They actually stopped doing full frontal nudity between 
October 2015 to February 2017. That's wow. a that's a kind of smart because then they can focus on like doing like interviews and articles because it was an actual magazine. And in March 2020, basically when the pandemic hit, they closed out the print edition, so it's just an online only. Oh wow! Oh, wow! Huh. Thing now. I have. I think I have it. A really great book that I think was like a secret Santa thing or something. It's pretty funny, but it's just like all of the celebrities that were ever in Playboy. <laughs> and it was just in houses that I lived in. And when I moved out, someone was like, you know, they're like, do you want it? And I was like, not really, but I feel like we've, this has just followed a, followed our friend group around for so long. Somebody has to keep <laughs> the book that has like Belinda Carlisle's ass in it. Oh, Belinda. She has a great ass. Hmm? So while Triple H makes his entrance, we go to the back where Todd Pettengill interviews Duke. And the dumpster interrupts Todd by yelling, saying Hunter has nowhere to run or hide, and that it's revenge time. Ah, uh, revenge time. I think you're supposed to say it's time for revenge. Revenge should be the last Come word. Up with something that I kn- com- yeah. has something to do with Vengeance garbage. Uh huh. Yeah. Ah, you can you can only do so many garbage jokes though. He's he's more than a garbage man. Is he? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So Duke promises to take Triple H out like yesterday's garbage. Oh, there we go. There before Pettengill sends us to video footage of Hunter attacking the dumpster on an episode of Superstars, cutting his hair off. See, that part I didn't remember. Because when I saw Duke and he had short hair, I was like, well, he cleans up nicely. Yeah. He's actually an attractive man. For a dumpster. Yeah. So Duke runs down the aisle and into the ring for the two men to trade punches until the dumpster throws Triple H by his hair and whipping around the ring before delivering a press slam and nailing Hunter with his weight belt. Damn, I could have been a dumpster diver. <laughs> hey <laughs> Duke keeps up the attack with boots and mounted punches when Hunter hot shots the dumpster onto the turnbuckle, while Lawler interviews Miss Hilden. Triple H goes for the pedigree, but Duke reverses it into an atomic drop followed by a clothesline and charging into a backdrop that sends the dumpster over to the floor. Hunter follows out, whipping Duke into the steel steps before they return to the ring, where Triple H lands several uppercuts and a rolling knee drop for a two-count. Hunter continues with a high knee, a vertical suplex, and a whip into a corner, only to charge right into a big boot. Both men then go for a clothesline that ends up in a double KO with the dumpster recovering to nail a spine buster, a backdrop, a clothesline, and a power slam. Duke then decides it's time to take out the trash, and he delivers the trash compactor, which is a tilt-a-whirl power slam. But instead of making a cover, the dumpster fetches his trash can, throwing it into the ring, where the lid actually (laughs) smacks Hunter in the face. Yeah, it's pretty funny. The ref grabs the can and removes it from the ring, allowing Triple H to grab the lid to nail Duke over the head, making the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. You got you got too far ahead of yourself, brother. You just got to... I know you're mad about the hair, but Shane just gave you a compliment. Just pin the man. Exactly. Post-match, Miss Hilden would give Hunter a kiss as she accompanied him backstage. And this would be the last time we see the dumpster for about five years. Wah, wah, wah. He's not going to show up in ECW. 
Who knows? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, don't bother looking it up. I'm just, uh, um, just Josh, and I don't care that much. I did read one little bit of info about this match. Okay. It was, I don't even remember what the hell side I saw it on, but this match is viewed as one of the first moments of quote-unquote extreme wrestling in WWF because of the trash can lid being involved. That was oh. one of the first times that that had happened on WWF TV, and it, it so lit the spark. Call, so what did they call Hacksaw? It's two by four. Yeah, I don't think That's you ever hit anybody with it. That's, just, That's <laughs> American pride right there. But also, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I see your trash can lid, but raise you an acoustic guitar. But I, I guess the I guess the trash can lid is like more synonymous with uh, yeah. quote unquote garbage wrestling. wrestling or extreme wrestling. Yeah. Actually, my takeaway from this match was Duke Drosy actually a good worker. He kind of was. I know, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was like cut his hair off, and I looked at him totally different than I had before. Because before he was just some long haired I mean, big dude wrestling, and then like he cut he... his hair, and he's just like a buff dude in a dirt a dirk a duke shirt and. Actually I, mean, had I think moves. the only other times we'd ever really seen him was a rumble. Basically, a rumble. So we've never really seen him <laughs> in a match. Even but good I was wrestlers like, don't look good in most rumbles. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, is he actually a good wrestler? I mean, his um, when he sets up the trash compactor, he's doing an everything by the number correctly. Yeah, which is like, yeah, that's how you string together. Oh, a comeback. Been? Well, we go to Todd Pettengill, and he gives us a tour of the WWF shop. And we see Wendy with the bangs, modeling an Undertaker sweatshirt. Call now to get one, guys. Bangs. Wendy with the bangs. She had those, ni- those 90s bangs. She probably did the thing with the curling iron. You... Probably. Oh, yeah. Hairspray, curl, mm-hmm. fluff, yeah. fold. Vincent sends us to a video package where two weeks ago on Raw, which we covered in episode 146, that's not 146. It's probably 186. That makes more sense. <laughs> we see Cornette berate Yokozuna after a match. And Yoko has had enough. Yoko's pissed. He attacks Jim, so Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart come to Corny's rescue, only to be chased from the ring as well by Zuna. And we go to Doc Hendricks backstage, where he tells everyone that we will hear from Yoko Zuna for the first time. And Yoko says... In perfect English, by the way. He stood in the shadows for three years as Cornette has kept him quiet, stealing his spotlight, his money, and his credit. Zuna continues that Owen only won gold while hiding behind him before telling the bulldog he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Yoko Zuna promises to burn Camp Cornette down to the ground. Bullseye! Yeah. I mean, you know, we did a, it's not the great. It's, he was clear. He understood what he was saying, but I, I mean, mean, I'm uh, confused on the Cornette kept him in the shadows for 3 years and kept him quiet. He, he hasn't been with Cornette that long, has he? Uh, but yeah. yeah. I, I mean, he was with Mr. Fuji, but they brought Cornette, Cornette on they because brought Cornette in pretty quickly. Early? Okay. Yeah, cuz he needed to cut promos cuz Fuji yeah. can't cut a Fuji promo. Fuji couldn't cut one. And who better than Fucking Jim Cornette. Also, how has he been in the shadow of Jim Cornette? Because <laughs> he's been in joke? the background. Fat joke. It's a yeah, fat joke. Just been in the background. No, I mean, no, I was making a fat joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know it wasn't. Jim I know Cornette he wasn't. Shadow. Yeah, Jim Cornette's not uh, particularly That's slim at this moment. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know he's no he's no Yoko. I challenge you to a Wendy's eat off. Double cheeseburger, <laughs> So we go to our third match: the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith with Jim Cornette versus Yoko Zuna. And Bulldog attacks Yoko as he enters the ring, only for Zuna to deliver right hands, a back body drop, and multiple clotheslines. Yokozuna continues with a body slam, but misses an elbow drop, allowing Davy Boy to nail several clotheslines of his own to take Yoko down. His when was the last time Yokozuna hit the damn elbow drop? Uh, <laughs> it just seems. I mean, obviously, it's probably as much as Flair hits the top rope. Whatever he does. Yeah. Yep. Bulldog keeps up the attack with chokes before distracting the ref, allowing Cornette to get some racket shots in. Zuna then reverses a whip, hitting an avalanche splash and attempting a bonsai drop, only for Corny to pull Davy Boy to the floor for safety. I mean, he'd, he'd earned his extra, an extra five bucks for that one. Yokozuna rolls out to stock after the Bulldog, sending him into the ring post. Posted. Before charging in, <laughs> where Davy Boy moves, causing Yoko to go face first into the ring post as well. Double posted. Back in the ring, Bulldog comes off the top rope with a flying axe handle for a two count. So Davy Boy goes up top again for another axe handle, but Zuna catches him in the gut on the way down. Bulldog keeps delivering right hands and clotheslines, only for Yoko Zuna to just absorb them and deliver a Samoan drop. Yoko follows that up with a belly-to-belly, which brings Cornet into the ring to attack Zuna with his racket, causing a disqualification. I mean, manager's gonna manage. Corny's gonna corny. <laughs> Post-match, Corny continues to attack, only for Yoko Zuna to shake off his strikes, backing Cornet into the corner, when Vader would arrive. Here we go. Vader to the rescue. I mean, the, res- <laughs> the rescue is probably not the right way to put it, but I was excited to see him. The Mastodon and Yoko begin to trade punches when Davy Boy would join the fray, followed by Vader handcuffing Zuna to the ropes. And Yoko Zuna would try fighting them all off, but he's outnumbered, until officials come down to try and stop the carnage, only for the Mastodon to chase them off. Vader and Corny go back to work on Yoko, until officials and Clarence Mason convince the Mastodon to stop. Oh, Clarence. Clary Mason. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice that uh, Vader's still big and mean. Mm-hmm. Let him be big and mean. And I'm just glad he's got somebody big and mean that he can be big and mean against. Because, yeah. I mean, I like seeing big and mean Vader, but watching him beat up on people that are a whole lot smaller than him just kind of gets old after a while. Yeah, I... Give him I'll... some Yoko, bring back old... No, don't bring back old King Mabel. No, please no. <laughs> please. Yeah, at least Yoko was was good for a big guy before he got before he became an extra big guy. Yeah. But uh, I always, I guess Vader probably has a, a family, but I'm always like, why didn't he just stay in Japan? He's one of the few guys. Like he showed up, Anoki actually let him pin him, and he became a fucking superstar immediately. Like. You'd imagine there's more money over there. But at the same time... And he's getting older, he's not, too. He doesn't, he's not going to live in Japan forever. So he wants to stay closer to home. Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking about all that money. 
So we see Goldust and Marleta in the AOL room. Oh my gosh, are they are they going to send us some uh, free CDs? Oh, free those sixty minutes CDs. Probably. Oh, those things are the worst. <laughs> I know you get them like every fucking day. Everywhere. But we it, had them at it, Blockbuster it, to hand out to people. I'm like, yeah. Why the fuck do we want to hand these out at Blockbuster? <laughs> but it seems like they're basically having a uh, ask Goldust anything type chat going on because the guy is typing everything the Golden One says while. He gets a little too close and personal with the gentleman. And Vince asks if the Golden One can hear him. Goldust just doesn't answer at first before saying he will dance cheek to cheek with Razor Ramon on Raw tomorrow night. And then McMahon sends us to a video package where we get Todd Pettengale narration about Shawn Michaels' courage. (laughs) Saying HBK doesn't quit after thugs beat him. And Monsoon made him forfeit the title. Thugs. Lots of highlights of Sean before interviews with Owen Hart bragging about hurting Michaels. Owen. Only for the Heartbreak Kid to return and win the Royal Rumble, followed by risking his Mania title shot to get Owen in the ring. Back to live action, and Todd interviews Sean, questioning the importance of the match, with Michael saying he can't fulfill his dream if he doesn't win. Continuing by promising to kick it with the click when he's victorious and they will rock their way to WrestleMania. This time don't do it in a sailor bar. Exactly. (laughs) So we go to our fourth match. Owen Hart with Jim Cornette versus Shawn Michaels for the WrestleMania title shot. Not a contract, not a briefcase. The title shot. And HBK doesn't come out from the curtains, but is instead on top of the house. Oh, who popped for this? Dancing away before swinging down to the aisleway on a rope. Woo! I mean, it's fucking fun. It's like, hell yeah, dude, why not? We got this set. I like how he just emerges. Like, I don't know if he climbed or if they put like a cherry picker behind there or something, mm. lifted him up. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. He comes down, he finally makes it to the ring, he rolls in, and he throws Owen out to the floor so he can finish dancing for the crowd. Sexy boy. Once they're back in the ring, Hart taunts that he is going to kick Sean in the head again before the two have a shoving match, followed by Michaels evading Owen to take a victory lap around ringside, high-fiving all of the fans. Once HBK returns, Hart then evades Sean and goes to high-five fans himself. But no one wants any part of that. Dumbasses. <laughs> Why the hell wouldn't you want to touch greatness? Michaels then flies off a top turnbuckle with a crossbody onto Owen, followed by a top rope double axe handle back inside the ring. The Heartbreak King controls with headlocks and a hurricanrana until Hart fires back with a belly-to-belly, a backbreaker, and a neckbreaker before going for the sharpshooter which Sean blocks, so Owen just wears down Michaels with several different holds. HBK finally breaks free, but Hart hits a spinning heel kick to send Sean out to the floor, where Cornette looks to get involved, only for the ref to catch him before he does anything. Hands up. I'm not not touching him. Owen drags Michaels up onto the apron, and he goes for a sluplex, but it's reversed, sending Hart crashing out to the floor. The Heartbreak Kid goes for a crossbody, 
but Owen catches him and delivers a power slam on the floor. Ouch. Before heading back into the ring, where Hart nails a missile drop kick, several uppercuts, and goes for a body slam, only for Shaw to reverse it into a roll-up for a two-count. I know, this is like the Owen that I feel like we've been missing. We don't get him enough. We don't get singles match. No. Owens. A lot of the real Owen in the last few times we've seen him because he's been busy with new dad duty and, and whatnot, so. Yeah. It's and good to see. the tag, it's never quite the same. Yeah. Michaels with a turnbuckle smash, but Hart then reverses the whip attempt to send HBK hard into the corner for his version of the flare flip. The sexy flip. Followed by Owen hitting a clothesline. Hart then applies the sharpshooter, but Sean makes his way to the ropes to break the hold. Owen keeps up the attack by stomping away on Michaels before landing a body slam. But the Heartbreak Kid counters into another roll-up for a near fall. Hart catches Sean with an insiguri that sends him tumbling out to the floor. So Owen drags him back into the ring, making a cover for a two-count. Michaels avoids Hart charging into the corner, forcing Owen to crotch himself, allowing HBK to rally with an atomic drop, jumping forearms, and a clothesline. Sean continues with a body slam and a top rope elbow drop, which he follows by knocking Cordy off the apron. Man, one fail swoop comeback right there. Yeah. Michaels then tunes up the band, only for Hart to duck and try for another insiguri, which the Heartbreak Kid ducks, allowing Sean to nail sweet chin music for the pin and, and the win. win. Post match, Michaels invites a young girl into the ring to dance with him, lifting her onto his shoulder and even giving her a kiss. It's been a little while since I watched the show. How young was the girl? Probably eight or nine. Yeah, okay. so she was grade school. I guess it's innocent. It wasn't. It's not yeah. like you grabbed like a teenager. Yeah, it wasn't a fifteen-year-old that he <laughs> yeah, picked up yeah. and put okay. on his shoulders. That's yeah. cool. It's been a little while, but just just check it. <laughs> Either way, it was probably innocent. It'd just be kind of creepy. A little bit. We didn't get an ad for WrestleMania 12, and critics claim WrestleMania 11 was sensational. I think it was more scary. I really feel like those <laughs> critics should be fired. What was the... Bam, Bam Bam versus, versus Lawrence, Lawrence. Damn. Michaels that really seems Diesel. so long ago, but I guess it's just not very memorable. Yeah. It was not. You had... What else was there after Michaels and Diesel? I'm trying to think of the other matches. Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam was yeah. enough. I don't mind. Those are your two main events, and that tells you a lot of... Yeah, they had the... Uh, where is Pamela Anderson? Oh, wow. God, that <laughs> seems so long ago. I guess it was. Yeah. Vince and Lawler then preview our main event before sending it to Todd Pettengill on a stage, where he welcomes Rowdy Roddy Piper, <sighs> who says he takes his job seriously because he's now the interim president of the WWF. Yeah, and for old Gorilla. Gorilla got his neck busted by Vader, and now he's going home for a bit. But Piper doesn't take it seriously enough not to comment on Michael Jackson's legal issues. Mm-hmm. No, he's still going to be Piper. Piper starts singing the Heartbreak Kid's praises, but tells him to get ready for a challenge, and that he won't stop the Mania main event until there is a winner. Something people need to hear at a time like this. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> 
Roddy starts talking about Yokozuna, saying he can't be dumb enough to get into these situations, and that he will not suspend Vader, but instead will put him in a match with Yoko at WrestleMania. Cornette and Clarence Mason then make their way out, but Piper just tells them to shut up before mocking Corny. And Jim claims that Vader scares Roddy, and what happens between Zuna and the Mastodon is on Piper's head. So Yoko and Vader at Mania, huh? It's good on paper. Probably be a good seven-minute match. Uh, and yeah. if it's any longer than that... It will not be good anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's also it's hard because it's like neither guy is gonna can bump for either guy, so it's like ah, like I said, the good the big guys on paper sounds great, but Vader's better when he can fucking throw Sting across the room. So we go to our fifth match: Diesel versus Brett the Hitman Hart for the WWF Championship in a cage match. Rage in a cage. So the two men trade strikes to begin. The worst Budweiser frogs ever. Oh, we really are. <laughs> Sorry. Until Big Daddy Cool gains control with clubbing forearms and knees to the gut in the corner. All while telling Brett that it's gonna be a long night. Hitman starts to attack Diesel's leg and slamming his head into the cage, which gives Hart the opportunity to, to escape only to be stopped by Diesel by delivering more knees into the midsection while they are on the top rope. Brett's rammed into the cage multiple times. Big Daddy Cool makes his way towards the door, only to be crotched on the top rope by the hitman, allowing him to work the legs some more before crawling to the door himself, where he is dragged back in, where Diesel then goes for the door to be dragged back in as well. I mean, so it's just back, this back and forth, yeah. trying for the door. Brett's, Brett's going to try to take his leg out. Uh, Diesel's going to go for the door. Brett's going to go for the door. Maybe one of them will climb the cage. More leg work by Hart, only for Big Daddy Cool to fire back with a clothesline and a side slam. But he misses an elbow drop, allowing Brett to climb to the top of the cage. All while Diesel tries to crawl out the door. <laughs> I'll race you. And the hitman sees this. So he jumps back down, grabbing hold of Big Daddy Cool at the last second to stop his escape. After working the leg again, Hart is up and over the cage, but Diesel pulls him back in to deliver a press slam down to the mat. Big Daddy Cool then charges into a corner, only to receive a big boot and a second rope bulldog from Brett, who heads to the top once more. But Diesel drags him back down to hit a back suplex. Big Daddy Cool then drops an elbow on the hitman, but misses a charge into the corner with his knee, allowing Hart to take control with more legwork and turnbuckle smashes, only for Diesel to reverse a whip, sending Brett chest first into a corner. The only the way that Brett can do. Yep. Big Daddy Cool throwing the hitman around the ring, landing elbows and knees, when Hart would retaliate by kicking the bad wheel and making his way over the cage and climbing down, when Diesel would grab him at the last second to drag him back over to deliver forearms. Big Daddy Cool throws Brett into the cage, landing a body guillotine on the ropes before attempting a snake eyes, 
But the hitman wiggles free and shoves Diesel headfirst into the cage. Yeah. Hart looks to apply the sharpshooter, but Big Daddy Cool blocks by poking the eyes, only for Brett to recover to nail headbutts to the small of the back. A Russian leg sweep and a top rope elbow drop. I mean, the Russian leg sleep, sweep and the top rope elbow drops really saved the headbutts to the small of the back. Yeah. So, good good cover, Brad. <laughs> the hitman heads to the top of the cage, but Diesel slows him by hitting his O-Canada's. His um, Calgary uh, corn nuts? Yes. Both men are down. When Big Daddy Cool is crawling his way to the door. When Hart slows him momentarily, but he's kicked off. Allowing Diesel free reign to the door. Don't let him out. All of a sudden, an arm comes out from underneath the ring. We all just did it. Like through the apron. And grabs Big Daddy Cool. It's the Undertaker. (laughs) Yeah, it is. The dead man drags Diesel back. Down into a hole. Down in a hole. While Brett climbs the cage over to the floor for the win. Fog erupting from the hole. Post-match, Big Daddy Cool makes his way back out of the hole with his pants torn and Taker stalking after him. So Diesel then climbs over the cage to escape. Undertaker then climbs to the top of the cage to watch Big Daddy Cool make his way to the back before the lights go out. And Vince says his goodbyes and we fade to black. Can I ask Shane a question? Sat. Did you watch this live? I did not watch this live, but uh, I watched the Raw the day after. Okay, I was curious to the reaction of the Undertaker thing, because we're all kind that of was never know been it. Done. It's like, it's part of the Undertaker package forever. Yeah. Ever right after this moment until until the world explodes, essentially. Yeah, that was uh, one of those so early holy shit moments because yeah. nothing like that had ever been done before. Where they just, I mean, they destroyed the ring just yeah. to continue the story. Yeah, having having somebody not only reach through but also pull another person through hadn't been done, and then they added the effects of the the smoke. Or fog, or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. The, the gases of hell being released. <laughs> so I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 6? You want to go? Sure. Uh, the show uh, moves. It doesn't... Nothing really drags. Nothing outstays its welcome. Things get pushed forward. Things get finished up. It is kind of what an In Your House should be. I would have liked maybe like one more, more technical match, but that's just a taste thing. But it's like, oh, well, you got a little bit of the styles that exists here in the WWE at the moment. No Hakushi, but you know he's gone. You had your one, two, three, little guy versus big guy. You had your technical match with Owen and Sean with a nice, like with a, with a nice purpose behind it. And just to sweeten, just to sweeten it up a little bit, the Undertaker, like Brett and Diesel, we've seen enough of the Undertaker thing. It's like, oh, at least we're finally getting away from those two. That shocking moment, obviously, we can look at it now and be like, yeah, cool. But I've seen it a million times. But just take yourself back a little bit. Like, that's cool. If we're gonna have to do this match again, which they did a fine job of, at least, you know. 
least uh, they got out of it in a shocking way. Yeah. Uh, of course, Brett didn't get to celebrate keeping his title, but at this point, who cares? It never happens for him that way anyway. Right. Let the Taker crowd... stand, st- to stand, stand tall and Diesel, you know, be afraid. The crowd doesn't come to see Brett celebrate with his title. They, they come to see him... Take chest bumps. Take chest bumps <laughs> and, you know, overcome, you know, the, a David versus Goliath situation. You know, he doesn't get the the pose and, and listen for all the cheers as I do the Hogan thing with no. my hand by my ear. Yep, it's pin. Pin, hold up the belt, put a thumbs up, and then the camera goes off. Maybe we can get a cameo. I, well, I would never ask Bret Hart to do that. <laughs> I have too much respect for him. Yeah. I would pay him never to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, give um, him five bucks if you don't. Yeah, this show was... It was an easy watch. It it didn't showcase any tag teams, unfortunately, but you had five matches of quick moving storytelling, setting the stage for you know WrestleMania. You had the I'm assuming the end of the Razor Ramon uh, one two three kid feud. Gotta be. <clears throat> there was a diaper involved. <laughs> Since we know it's the last time yeah, we yeah. see one two three kid, I. I assume that it's the last one. Like, I literally thought they were, they'd were they probably blow this off at WrestleMania. And then when I saw that it's the last time we see Kid, I was like, oh, who does Razor... Like, the Razor must just have, like, a random match at WrestleMania. Trying to remember. Like, I, don't even remember I don't even know what it is. I haven't looked it up. But. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, well, the heel lost and got a diaper put on him. Yep. And he's so much smaller. What are they going to do, put it in a cage? That's just... That just means one, two, three kid is going to the hospital on paper anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not mad at this show. It's it's not my favorite show that WWF did, but it was one kind of like how the the NXT shows of you know the the black and gold era where they were just five matches that moved the show along, sent the crowd home happy, and gave people something to talk about. Yeah, it's not the best in your house, but it's not the worst in your house. Definitely, it's like oh, like this is just the. I mean, the, the word for the show is solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a solid show throughout. There is nothing wrong with any of the matches. If, even if you think something was stupid, the psychology behind the silliness it, was correct. It was to help build yeah. towards something in the future. Mm-hmm. Because, like, obviously, the Yokozuna having a DQ because Cordy comes in and just waxing with the racket. Yeah, perfect like, setup. Okay, stupid, but... That it brings out Vader and sets now up, it's not stupid anymore. Sets up their match for WrestleMania, yeah. so it automatically is like, okay, I see where we're going with this. Yeah, and they it's, honestly, they uh, had their thing in the Rumble, and then they both got knocked out at the same time, and then they were on the same team, and tempers flared, and now they get to have a match. They did they did it well. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There. All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. Smark, smark, smark. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Owen Hart getting to be Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels working from underneath. Yeah. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. Shawn working mentioned- baby I- and Owen uh, being, being uh, getting to actually like do moves. I mean, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but... Who do Duke Drosy could wrestle? Exactly. I was like, yes, please. Like, they put him in there with somebody else that can work, and they yeah. have, they have like it's like a great television wrestling match 
on this pay per view, but that's what it should be. It's the first first match. Every it's like there's second, oh second match. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but you know they it felt like it would have been should have been the first match probably. But you got to pop the crowd. Dorosey's probably not doing that. Triple H ain't doing that yet. But yeah. But like, you can see so much of Hunter, or you can see so much of Ric Flair in Hunter at this point. Yes. Like he's literally just copying Ric Flair, and it's like. Well, if you're going to copy someone, is that the worst person to copy? Yeah, you're also not copying Ric Flair on Ric Flair's show either. So exactly. it's like, hey. Copying, yeah, copying Ric Flair, taking over some of the the knowledge that old Mr. Regal had given him while he was working with him for the short time. Yeah, Hunter looks great. Duke looks great. Wendy's bangs. <laughs> Wendy's um, bangs. <laughs> Like, I mean, you know they're memorable when I actually mm-hmm. have to write Wendy with the bangs. <laughs> yeah. Probably, like, some somebody, like, production guy's, like, daughter or something. Oh, she was probably a production assistant or something. Oh, was she, was she a little older? Yeah, she was at least 20-something. Yeah. I wonder if she got a payoff. Maybe she got to keep the t-shirt. Who would want an Undertaker sweatshirt? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. You could sell it now if it's in. If she never wore it, she could probably sell it for five hundred dollars now on eBay. At least, yeah. Anything else? Oh, just all around show was pretty. Yeah, enjoyable. How about most disappointing? No gold dust match. Yeah, we had no gold dust match. We it didn't little... need it. The show didn't need it. But I just like he. They had him on the show, but I would like to see some more gold dust just because he's. Uh, on on a roll right now, coming out hot. Would like to see it continue, but we'll see more of Dolda. The one thing that I wish that was on this show that wasn't. So you had Sean keep his WrestleMania title shot. You have Brett as the champion after the cage match. They do not interact. But they do not interact at all. Like yep. literally, just maybe yes. even maybe even having a shot of Brett as he's walking to the back, and all of a sudden Sean comes out. Like, yeah. literally just that yeah. one little moment. It could, it could have been after that match, or Sean could have been at the commentary for that match. Because the, yeah. there's a cage, so they can't interact with each other. They plus can't touch each other. With, plus, he's friends with Diesel, so it yeah. would make sense, like, yeah. worrying that he's going to help Diesel somehow. They can't touch each other. Sean can also, like, walk back and look afraid with uh, with him from Taker. It would Honestly, that's an easy fix that would... Give the show a, like an extra, like half a star yeah. or point or whatever yeah. you want to say. It would bump it up just a li- just a little bit because it just it it just gets you. Oh, that's right. That's our WrestleMania main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But right now we know. I mean, if you just like literally just watching the show, you know Undertaker and Diesel is going to fa- face each other. And you know Yokozuna and Vader are going to face each other. Yep. I mean. You could put two and two together that and Sean, Sean and Brett. Sean and Brett are going to face each other, but you didn't they don't. Tease. They don't tell you. No. Yeah. They don't say anything about it. They don't tease it. They don't exchange a look. Sean could have just been on commentary, or even I don't know, walked out. He could have just showed up at the end, essentially, in any form or fashion. Him on commentary is obviously the easiest and best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we had a similar. Uh, statement on the last In Your House show. At least I think it was In Your House. I can't even remember what the last WWF show we watched was. but Probably a Raw. The one where it, it ended with... It, it was either Rumble or the Raw. 
Yeah, I think it was Rumble. Yeah. Because Brett and Taker fought, and it was interrupted by Diesel, and... Oh, that's right, we had the... It was only made to show... Well, we had the Royal Rumble Extra, and, like, literally everyone, Undertaker, or Diesel, Sean, Vader, are, and Undertaker, I think, are all talked about and mentioned, but Brett's nowhere to be found. Yep. It's like, so, again, he's, your, he's your fifth guy, guys. He's your, But he's your champion. He's only your champion, yeah. yeah. I wonder who's gonna if he's gonna retain at WrestleMania. And also, this is like his second run. Like the first time he wins, first time in WWF, people win the belt. It's like it's for like a cup of tea, and then later on they build it and give it to him, and make him more dominant. And it's like, oh, this still almost feels like his first fucking title run, yeah. uh, and it shouldn't. Got a hot mic. How about best performer of the night? Um. I honestly I'm giving it to Duke just because he's the one who stood out to me on the screen as something I had never noticed before. Yeah. Whereas like Sean and Owen are the kind of obvious answers, but uh those guys will get that and have gotten that plenty of times before. So I guess he's kind of the most surprising. Yeah, he's definitely going to be my surprise of the evening as well. Yeah. I, I, but I I'm with you right there. Like I I think you're right on the same page. We're all on the same page. Yeah. Sean and Owen oh, yeah. probably had the best, but Duke doing as well as he did, like, give him his flowers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Solid. I mean, Solid we're not going to see him for five years, and we probably ain't going to be able to give him flowers then. So. No. Right. no. Put him in the Hall of Fame. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm calling that a Hall of Fame-worthy match right there. Mm-hmm. It caught my attention. How about most surprising? I mean, obviously Duke. Duke. Don't. The uh, detailed diaper changing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, honestly, when they actually put the diaper on him, it's <laughs> probably the most surprising. Because I knew about the taker thing. Like when I turned the show on, I was like, oh. And then I was as when the cage match started, like a couple minutes into it, I was like, oh yeah, this is the one where that's gonna happen. But I didn't. I didn't know as soon as I turned it on. So it wasn't surprising. And that's why I was asking you. Is like, did you watch this live? Like. How did it, you react? How did it feel? Was how exciting was it? Uh, you saw it on Raw, and it was probably probably still cool and shocking because oh, yeah, I had time. no. Yeah, we we didn't really have internet spoilers back then, so even yeah. though the pay per view happened the day before, you still went into Raw blind. Do you remember when I think they still it's the World Wide Web? Yeah, you think Thanks, I think, Al Gore. I think they still do it. <laughs> Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> uh, but back then on the, like Raws, did they just show screenshots or did they yeah. do clips? Mm-hmm. The screenshots always drove me nuts. Like during the Attitude Era when I didn't get, most like my parents weren't paying for that Screenshot shit. Screenshot with the voiceover. Uh-huh. Like, oh. and then this happened. And it's like, ah. But yeah, I was just. And nowadays they're just like, you watched it. Oh, you yeah. Did good. Yeah. Well, they, they well, might yeah. start changing that. For a while there, it was just, uh, we don't want to talk about what happened last night. So we're just going to jump into a new storyline. <laughs> but yeah, that diaper would probably be number one. Uh, Undertaker's obviously number one at the time. Yeah. And now it's just like I said, it's the most one of the most prominent things in any of his packages. Even a lot of the attitudes era stuff, like you know, hanging Big Boss Man and uh, crucifying people and stuff. It's like they don't typically don't put that stuff in those they packages they anymore. They don't throw those in the old packages. Yeah, I wish they would because that shit still is hugely uh, important and was big and over. Hanging Big Boss Man is still creepy to see. Even if you don't like yeah. the guy, we don't wish anything yeah. bad on these guys. That raw I watched live. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, this one is patented. Uh, right, taker package fodder. Who was it a raw? No, the Stephanie was a raw. Was it Big Boss Man too? I thought so. I can't uh, remember. It probably but, was. Uh, SmackDown went around. No, or not SmackDown. So it would have had to been raw. No, I was thinking either raw or I don't know why I said SmackDown, like a pay per view or something. Yeah, yeah. raw or Saint Valentine this massacre. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. <laughs> oh, fuck words. This week, the category is Music of the Bat. It's my music. Break it down. Music of the Mat. You gotta buzz in. It's three points for whoever buzzes in with the correct answer first. Okay. I'll play you a theme song from a wrestler. You tell me what wrestler it is. I know the song. I can't remember who this was. He's probably so cut out of some shows we watched. I just named the song. <laughs> I know who sings the song. Who the fuck was this? I'm trying to remember. I assume it's not from ECW. But maybe. You're we'll guessing see. it's not from ECW? Yeah, I guess like, it it's to totally ECW. ECW. I guess I was thinking of like, I, yeah, this is not taking place during uh, like the Jim Crockett era where they did some songs. Shame. Was this Cactus Jack? This is oh, Cactus okay. Jack. That's what I was like. Song. I was trying to remember if it was Cactus Jack or if it was Sabu, but it was somebody born to be wild. I just yeah. can't remember which one it was. Yeah, that's so, so obvious. Good on you, yeah. Shane. Like, I knew it wasn't... That's what we get for... I knew it wasn't uh, Terry Funk, because I got Desperado already in my head. Yeah. Three points there to Shane. <gasps> I know. I watched some Cactus Jack back in the day, but it was always off of, like... Uh, ECW torrents because it was before YouTube was big or much of a thing. So I'd torrent ECW like the best ECW matches and burn it and watch it with my buddy. But torrents. definitely don't remember the songs. Next week, just another night. It's an ECW show. And guess where it is? It's not in Philly. It's in Glen Olden, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. As I love that they called the show. It's like it's just another night. Like, We're you had me in a panic again. for a second it, there. I'm like, did I look up the wrong show? Because I swear it was It kind of is just another night because it's basically a fan cam. Yeah. I, I shouldn't even say basically. It is a fan cam. I think it's Joey Styles totally even tells cam. us that it's a fan cam and that he dubbed over. Like, Yeah. Why do they do that to us? They just started getting good with their cameras. Why are they going back to the fans? I think the idea is that they can just have Joey do a voiceover over it and then sell another tape. Yeah, that's at basically the merch what it spot. is. Oh, so it's just and literally just we, another just house another show. tape. We, I will, I will admit that if this show wasn't on Peacock Network, whatever you're using, we yeah. probably wouldn't cover it. But because it is, that's the reason we are. Hey, and it's kind of nice to see ECW in a different room. Because we're in the same room so often, it's just kind of, I said kind of, yeah. kind of nice. And I'm so not elated. It was a different camera, so I couldn't tell if they were somewhere different or not. It's so much brighter. I mean, it was bright, but like I said, it's a different camera, so it could be something totally different as far as just uh, how it was being recorded. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't pay attention to the fact that it was somewhere else. <laughs> definitely less, less people. people. It's brighter, and I believe there might be a basketball hoop. Yeah. So music for this week's <laughs> show is the In Your House theme by Jim Johnston. In Your House. And Bret Hart won our main event, so we play his theme music. Heart Attack by Jim Johnston as well. Heart Attack. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. Come on. People like. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Recipes. Drink ideas. You just want to talk. What are they eating Glenn Olden? I don't know. Where the fuck is Glenn Olden? Who knows? Is it still a place? Probably. Okay. Maybe we'll find out. If you know, (laughs) you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Slide into those DMs. Laters.